Why? So the challenge, if you weren't here last week, is to read through the entire book of James at least one time every week in one sitting. And uh, I timed myself. It took like seven or nine minutes for me to get through it. And uh, so it, it, it's not a large investment of your time. If, if you really want to immerse yourself in James, read it, read through the whole book once a day if you can. Again, it just, just take, all right, Roger's doing that. Anybody else read it once a day, every day? All right, good job, good job. Yeah, that, see, this is how you study the Bible. This is how you get familiar with the Bible. When you, when you were, if you're married, when you were dating your spouse, you didn't go out one time and say, okay, I know enough. I never want to do this again, right? I know everything I need. Uh, my guess is you wanted to see her or him again, right? And spend time together. And and that it's the same thing with the Word of God. You saturate yourself. You spend time in it over and over and over again. And reading it is the most basic way that we do that. So so let's not downplay just the reading of God's Word. And, and once you're saturated with that, um, studying it becomes a lot easier. I can remember years and years ago, uh, John MacArthur, uh, someone asked him, in a Q&A session, well, how do, you, how do you study when you're getting to prepare to teach uh, a biblical book? And, and he would say that for 30 days, he would read through that book over and over and over and over and over again. And uh, that, that will serve you well uh, if you want to know the Word of God better. So as we, uh, we come to James, let me start the PowerPoint for you before I forget to do that. And, uh, well, guess what, <laughs> guess what we're going to do? We're going to read a little bit of James today. Okay? So you got your Bible open. James, chapter 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man who is unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstance is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. Well, so too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. But let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given 
And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that he would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. And this you know, beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and has gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And if anyone thinks himself to be religious... And yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. For pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself, keep oneself unstained by the world. That's just chapter 1. So, as you have read through the book of James this week... What stands out to you? And, and this, this is a very, it's an interactive class, just so you know. So don't, don't be shy, right? What, it, what stands out, Roger? Go ahead. Isn't it? It's a how-to manual for a new Christian. It is. It, it is a how-to. This is not a book, and there's some difficult parts, certainly, but this is not a book where you go, now, what am I supposed to do with this? Because it's, it's just so direct, and it, it's so exhortational. And, um, yeah, yeah, James, we call James the wandering epistle, right? The, you know, he just kind of, right? And uh, I, I find when I read the book of James, it reminds me of being a parent. You ever, you ever do this? Um, and another thing, right? Oh, and another thing, and another thing, right? You just keep, you, he keeps loading them up, and, and he's just wandering all over the place. It's, it's like sending your kid off to college for the first time, right? You, know, you just keep thinking of things to remind them of. And so, okay, what else did you notice uh, reading through the book of James? Nick? Yeah. Do you agree? I mean, he spends almost a whole chapter talking about self-control in regard to our words. Uh, and it's pretty indicting because often the godliness of our words is a barometer of our spiritual health, isn't it? That's his argument. If you can bridle your tongue, you're a perfect person. 
It's like, well, none of us does that. Okay, well, all right, that, that's the point, right? But but that's a good indicator, and I like what you're saying, Nick, because I I think when we grow in self-control over our words, it says something about our overall walk with God. The mouth speaks from that which fills the heart, right? That's Luke 6.45, I think. Yeah, that's true. That, that, uh, that There's a pipeline between your mouth and your heart, and so what comes out of your mouth is a pretty good picture of what's going on inside of you. So, yeah, good, good point. Something else? What would you learn from James? Yeah, Melissa? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, so yeah he talk, he talks about the the double-minded man, right? Unstable in all his ways. And that that's a person who struggles to just trust God. And and I, I suppose we all have a little bit of the double-minded man in all of us, don't we? Um, he may be isolating a particular type of person, but I feel that. I mean, do, do you feel like in the Christian life, if the Christian life is a road, do you feel like you're staying between the lines most of the time, or do you feel like you're kind of swerving and, oh, i got to get back on the road? And that's that's a lot of what we experience when we struggle to keep our focus on trusting God versus being distracted by trusting in other things. Okay. Someone else? Yes. Peg? Trials produce endurance. We're going to talk about that today. Um, how do you think about trials as joy? At that point, you just want to close the book and say, I don't, I don't want any of this, right? Think of how radical that is. I mean, what we do naturally is we run away from trouble, right? We run away from trial. We try to fix them. And, and, and not that there isn't a place, you know, to, to handle things like that, but, but James would say trials are an occasion for joy because of what they do to us. And what they do to us are really good. We'll talk about that in a minute. Someone else? What would you learn from James? I'm going to ask you this every week, so just get used to participating, okay? My experience as a, a teacher in a classroom, I know those that aren't participating. I will call on you if I need to, so be warned. Yes, oh, yes, Michael, I see that hand. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. Glad that was motivating. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Todd? It's also setting a, the stage, if you will, mm-hmm. of the world versus the believer. Yeah. And showing the contrast. Yes, he sure is. Yeah, yeah. This is a book of contrast. Do you agree with that? Um, most commentators, when they look at this, their outline looks something like this. This is tests of true Christianity. If you want to know what it really means to be a believer... James is helping us to see the authentic from the forgery. And, and I would add to that, that that's where I get 
you know, this is not original, real faith, right? True faith. But, but where I think we miss some of the real punch of the book is to recognize that James is not speaking abstractly or conceptually. He's not just saying, well, hey, do you want to win the Jeopardy category called true and false believers for 500, Alex, right? You, that, that's not what he's doing. What, what, he's, what he's sharing is this is what it means to really walk with God when your life is hard. And, uh, and I can't help but think that, that maybe what part of God is doing right now in the difficulty in our country, in our nation, is he's separating the true believers from tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of professing believers that don't really know God. And um, anyway, all right. Well, well, good job on that. And if you didn't get a chance to slip your hand up, we'll get to you next week. Okay, so let's, let's jump in here to chapter 1. And again, James starts off just, um, you know, we talked about that. Um, did you notice the number of commands? It's like boom, 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 boom. It's like a shotgun, right? He just boom, you know. And there's all these, all these uh, instructions all over the place. So, okay. So here, here's the first sort of big idea here, and, and one of you mentioned it a moment ago. Think of your trials as occasions for joy. That's the first real command here that he gives. Think of your trials as occasions for joy. So right out of the gate, now you can imagine, right? You can imagine this is the first letter written, inspired by God, to the very first Christians. Like Roger said, it's a, it's a very, it's, it's the early book. The church is brand new. Jesus has only gone back, it, it's been less than 20 years since Jesus went back to heaven and walked the planet, right? And um, and this is the first persecution. The, the very first perse- persecution that happened to Christians was not from Rome. It was from Jews. It was from the establishment of Judaism in uh, the nation of Israel in that day. And so as Jews are converting to Christianity, their former friends, other Jews, are, are not just... Um, you know, giving them grief about it, but the establishment begins putting pressure on them and persecuting them and assaulting them to the point, and we don't know all the details, but James tells us in verse 1 there, these are the 12 tribes, so the 12 tribes of Israel, so, so people, Jews from every 12 tribe that have become Christians who are di- dispersed abroad, meaning the persecution got bad enough, they said, we can't stay here. And I mentioned last week, if you live in Granbury or Toller or Stephenville, wherever you live, Weatherford, imagine what would have to happen in terms of being assaulted and demeaned and uh, threatened for your faith. Think of how bad it would have to be for you, say, for you to say, hey, honey, I think we need to move. Weatherford isn't working out so well anymore. I mean, just think of how bad that would have to be. Yeah, Rusty. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Because one of the things, we're going to talk in, in the worship service about when God doesn't make sense. That's the title of my message today, when God doesn't make sense. And one of the things we have to wrestle with is 
why does God allow things that we know he hates? We know dishonor him, like persecution, like wickedness. Why does he allow that? That doesn't make any sense, right? But what Rusty's saying is part of the answer. God uses those things to accomplish his purposes. And um, we don't always see that so clearly, but you're right. So there's a purpose behind this. But, but you can just try to picture what, what, how bad would it have to be for me to say we're moving out of Hood County. And that's what's going on here in the book of James, as James writes, okay? So, but, but, okay, so these are people that have left their home, right? They, they've left their families, they've left their jobs, they're running away from persecution. They get a letter from the brother of Jesus. How amazing is that? We got some counsel, we got some encouragement, and here's the first thing he says, I want you to be happy about what's going on. Now, would that rattle your theology a little bit? Would you be tempted to just throw the letter away at that point? Are you out of your mind, James? What are you? Yeah, it's easy for you to say. You're not being persecuted. You're back in Jerusalem and everything's right. So, so this, this guy, make sure your seatbelt is fastened because th- this is hard hitting theology. I'll tell you right now, I, I don't, in my flesh, I don't like what this says because I like to be comfortable just like you do. But he says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Uh, the word consider there just means, you know, think of it, right? So what comes into your mind when you think about being persecuted? James says, what I want to come to your mind when you hear about that is this is an occasion for my joy. Okay. Now, now, the spiritual calculus here is difficult, but stay with me, okay? Stay with Mr. James, because this is going to make sense. Look at what he says. Look, follow his logic here. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Someone want to explain the formula here? Why should we consider it all joy? Oh, are you reading ahead, Carl? Yes, I've got I've got some things mapped out here, but just I want to hear you put it in your own words is what I'm getting at. Explain this in your own words. Sorry about that. Um, what is he saying? Explain it in your own words. Okay, trials are not intended to tear you down, but build you up. Okay. They make you rely on your faith. Good. What's that? Yeah, the payoff is joy if you endure. Okay, now this is, you're going to call me crazy. You almost have to read the passage backwards. Okay, can we read the passage backwards? Look at the end of verse 4. It is possible to lack nothing in your spiritual life. 
It is possible to be perfect, meaning mature, complete. It is possible to be whole, spiritually speaking. It is possible for you and I to look more and more like Jesus Christ every day. Wouldn't it be incredible? Wouldn't it delight your heart to be more like your Savior and to be mature and and whole and well in your spiritual life? Would that not bring a smile to your face and joy to your heart to know that you are reflecting the character of your Savior? Now, can I interest you in how to get there? See, you gotta do it backwards. The, the, the payoff, the value is at the end of the verse, not at the beginning of the verse. But he front loads it, maybe for effect, maybe to get your attention. He front loads it with joy and he puts joy and trial next to it. And those are two things we don't, we don't say joy and trial in the same sentence unless we're getting rid of trials, right? But that's, that's the point here. Joy is the byproduct of knowing that you are growing to be more like Christ in your character and in your maturity and your faith. You know, what's the buzzword today? What's the buzzword in the culture today? Wellness. Right? I was in the store the other day and, and you know, um, uh, minding my own business, just buying something and, and you know, a person usually says, you know, have a good day, have a nice weekend. And the lady caught me off guard. She said, be well. I didn't know what to do with that. You be well too. It's like, yeah, I don't have a response for that, right? And, and what James is saying is, there is a wellness that is better than physical, emotional, whatever, whatever the culture is going to say about that today. Uh, what, spiritual wellness is when you and I image Jesus. And there is nothing more exciting in the Christian life than when you look backward and say, by God's grace, I've grown. I'm not the same person I was. Right? Things are different because God has worked in my life. And that's, a, that's an occasion for joy. And so James says, you want to know what, what is God's gymnasium for producing that degree of spiritual strength and growth? What is the greenhouse where God grows us into flourishing people that look more like Him? What is it? According to the verse. Trials. Now that's the part that's hard to swallow, right? We like being like Jesus. We like growing in maturity. We like being healthy spiritually. But guys, this this is nothing new. Roman says this, Peter says this, Job demonstrates it, the Psalms talk about it, Jesus taught on it. If you want to be more like Christ, if you want to grow in your spiritual walk with God, you will walk through trials. Because trials are the vehicle that God uses to accomplish spiritual maturity. Okay, now let, now let's, with you got that, let's break it down, okay? So what does he mean when he says trials? Now you can look at the screen or look at your notes there. Trials are circumstances that reveal or test the nature or character of something. How many are in school right now? In school? 
Okay, a few of you. Okay, put your hands down. Uh, th- those of you that put your hands up. Do you like tests? Do you like tests? Or do you like recess? Okay, some of you are homeschooled, right? You do tests also. Do you like that? Jude's shaking his head no. Okay, I don't like tests, right? I like recess. I, li- I like when mom says, okay, school's done, you can go play, right? Is that right, Jude? Is that how it goes? Okay. None of, I don't know anybody that says, oh, great, I have an examination today. So why do we do them? What's the point of a test? It measures what you know. Measures what you know. It, it, it demonstrates where you're at. That's why we teachers do them, right? That, that's why uh, before you get a driver's license, you know, you go drive with a, an examiner, right? Before you get your pilot's license, you go fly with an examiner. Before you do anything, like, potentially important, you, you go do a test to demonstrate, hey, I can do this without killing somebody. And James says, you're gonna have, you, you want to know where you stand in terms of your spiritual health. How do we know that? We, we know that when God brings trials. Now, now, stay with me on this, okay? God loves us enough to bring trials. He loves us enough to bring trials because he wants us to know. He wants us to grow. Okay? Now, now notice the, the, the nature of this here. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I, I love this definition for endurance. It's the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. How'd you do in 2020? How'd you do? Did your faith flourish or did it flounder? Did you grow or did you regress? Or like most Christians, was it sort of a, a wavy line, right? A, bro- a broken line. See, endurance is this capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. And we, we need that as a prerequisite to these other two things, he says, maturity and wholeness. My Bible says perfect. It's teleon. It, it, it's, um, it, it can mean perfect, but in this context, it has the idea of being mature or being complete in your faith. Um, and it's coupled here with another word, the word whole or, or complete. And, um, and that is, that is the progress here, right? Testing produces endurance. Endurance produces wholeness and maturity. And wholeness and maturity make us feel joy. And that's the difference. Uh, notice, j- just look at this for a minute. Joy is defined here a little bit differently than, than maybe we might understand it, right? Uh, how would we just sort of culturally define happiness and joy? How would we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Anything wrong with those things? Not at all, right? It's good to have family relationships and health and whatnot. But I want you to see here, worldly joy is based on a certain set of circumstances. Christian joy is based on maturity. That's radical, isn't it? That's really different. 
Worldly joy says, I'm going to run away from trials. Christian maturity, Christian joy says, I need those trials to make me more like Christ. And I want to be more like Christ. And, and that's why Christians are, are not running away from, from everything uh, uh, the way a lot of times the world is. Now, now, it's not like it's wrong to better your circumstances or anything like that, but, but we view trials first and foremost as an occasion for joy because it's an occasion to grow. Now, James comes back to this. I love what uh, Carl said, or one of you guys said, about him kind of weaving in and out of uh, 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 topics here. Um, he kind of moves away from that, and then he comes back, and he moves away, and he comes back. Um, what does verse 12 say when a believer perseveres and thus is approved? What happens there? Yeah. There's not only a... There's not only an experience of joy now for the person that endures, for the person that grows, but there is an eternal blessing too, right? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, now here, here's the, the key interpretive issue today. What does he mean when he says he's been approved? Okay, he passes the test, okay? And how do we know that that happens? If you survive your trials. And 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 how many trials do I have to go through before that's true? Continual. So you're saying, John, it's not like one or two trials and I'm done, right? Is that what you're saying? No. No. So 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 get this, guys. One of the marks of a true Christian is that they endure. They keep on believing, right? They, 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 they keep on trusting. They keep on growing. Not perfectly, right? We're not, we're not talking about super Christians and, you know, annihilation of sin or anything like that. What we're talking about is a real Christian is a growing Christian. A real Christian is an enduring Christian. A real Christian is a joyful Christian. Because of what these things do in our life, they produce joy and they demonstrate God's approval. So, so we're, we're not even, man, we're, we're barely out of the starting block here and James is already challenging us that there's a radically different way that we need to think about life in our situations. Um, how do you do? Do you guys have a, like a prayer journal? You guys keep a prayer journal or something a devotional? You, I don't know. Do you write stuff down to remind yourself important stuff? Do, do you do that? I got to do that because I forget stuff all the time, right? I got to write them in my journal, you know. So I don't, and, and I try to go through that every day as a part of my my devotional time. This would be a great thing to write because it is so counterintuitive. It is so not what we typically do. This is this is what you write. View my trials as occasions for joy. And, um, and then pray with the logic of James that we would embrace it like that. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be 
Well, what's the opposite of joy? Sadness, despair, grief. Wouldn't it be sad and despairing and grief if your life was so easy and trial-free that you were a immature, ungodly, pre-kindergarten Christian your whole life? That, that's tragic. What's tragic is to not reflect your Savior. And I don't like trials any more than you do, but, but this challenges me to reorient what I deem as really joyful and what I'm really aiming for. So, All right, we've got to move on, but that, that's, I'm almost ready to be done just after that because that, that's so world-shaping. But... Uh, yeah. Well said, yeah, yeah. And you, you, it's the reward for finishing the race, and finishing the race demonstrates the validity of your faith. But it is, it is. You do win in that way. So that's good, good point. All right, number two, confidently ask God for stabilizing wisdom. I, you know, this was written in the first century, like almost two thousand years ago. Um, are we practical yet? Is this, is this like? I mean, I don't know. Do you ever go through trials? Have you ever gone through a trial? Is your life pretty easy or, or there's some bumps in the, in the road? See, it's, it's right here. It's so practical. Here's another one. How do you gain a spiritual stability system? See, what do you mean by that? When trials do come, when difficulties do come, do they knock you off the road? Or have you learned how to respond to those things in a way that does not dislodge your hope or leave you scrambling for something to trust? I mean, look look at this. He he continues, okay? But if any of you lacks wisdom, and and by the way, the, the little but there, the little connecting conjunction there, probably links what we just said to this. So when he's saying you lack wisdom, there's a pretty good... Um, there's a pretty good chance that he's saying when any of you lacks wisdom in regard to how you respond to your trials. Okay, there, there may be a logical connection there. I don't know about you, but when difficulties come, for me, that's when I feel like I'm needing God's wisdom the most. So maybe there's a connection there. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, Um, so let's just stop right there. Uh, first of all, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Uh, 
all throughout the Bible, we, we can see particularly in the Proverbs and other places and Psalms that highlight the, the wisdom literature, the wisdom books like Ecclesiastes and Job. Um, basic definition, right? Wisdom is knowing and applying the word that comes from a trust in him, right? It's knowing and applying the word to whatever life throws at you, and that comes out of a motivation of trust. Uh, we, we, we remember what Proverbs says, right? The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Many of you knew it. That's good. What does it mean? That, that, that wisdom begins when you trust and submit to the God who made you. That, that everything you build wisdom upon doesn't matter if you're not trusting and loving and submitting and fearing God himself, right? Now, now what's interesting is, now if you've read the whole book, where else does wisdom show up? Don't look at your notes. Don't look at your notes. Flip over to James chapter 3 for a moment. This is where you read about wisdom. And I think this helps us to understand maybe more particularly what James is focusing on when he throws out the word wisdom. Because wisdom, we can just say generally, it means knowing God's word and applying it out of our love and trust of him. But I think James does something here and he narrows the scope of wisdom, at least in this letter. Look, Look what he says in chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But, here's the contrast, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. For this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every real, every evil thing. But, here we go, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What is Mr. James thinking about when he tosses out the word wisdom? What's he thinking about? Jude, what do you think? What's that? Faith. Faith? Yeah, it's definitely an expression of faith. I agree with that. What's he talking about? Do you see in his description here in chapter, you're looking at me like, tell me the answer. So I'll just tell you the answer. In, I, it, my, and tell me what you think. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, he's not talking about wisdom like, do I buy this car or not? He's not talking about wisdom like, do I take this job or not? And then we do need wisdom for those things. 
the wisdom that he seems to describe here is a horizontal wisdom. It's a how do I get along with people wisdom? How do I deal with this difficult purpose, uh, person wisdom? How do I deal with this difficult relative wisdom? How do I deal with this conflict in my marriage wisdom? It's, it's a getting along with people wisdom. Do you see that? I mean, look at it, right? It's, it's uh, pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits. Without That's stuff we do with people, right? So now go back to chapter 1. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's, he's limiting wisdom to that, but that does seem to be contextually what he has on his mind. So, so watch this. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials... Side note, especially those that come from difficult people in your life, because that's where you need wisdom. Right? Again, I don't think he's limiting it to that, right? But that's certainly one of the things he has on his mind. We need wisdom to know, how do I deal with this person? How do I deal with that hurt, that being sinned against, right? That, that I, I know I should forgive, but I don't feel like forgiving. I how do I relate to that parent or adult child that doesn't believe and is hostile? How do I relate to that coworker that I want to evangelize? How do I relate? What do I, what do I say to be a light to this person when they don't want to listen? That's where we need wisdom. Um, so if you lack wisdom, look at this. If you lack wisdom, what do you do? You ask God. You know what God does? He he just he just gave us a blank check. The bank of wisdom. Here. Cash it in. Um some of you are looking at me like, what's a check? Ask your parents. They'll tell you what a check is. Okay. Is that like a debit card? Yeah, sort of. But, um he said, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. God gives generously and without reproach, which means God will not shame you for not knowing the answer. I think some, some people, they're, they have this view of God that says, oh, I don't want to go to him. Why well, don't I want to go to him? Because he's going to make fun of me for not knowing the answer. I feel like I've been a Christian for 30 years. I should know this, right? And I'm embarrassed that I don't. And James says, no, go ask. He won't shame you. He won't find fault in that. But here's the qualification. You must ask without doubting, without being uncertain or wavering. And this is what's so hard because um, there's what God says, right? This is the book of wisdom. This is, by the way, this is how God, this is how God answers this prayer, right? He gives wisdom through the word as we study it and as he gives us insight in terms of how to apply it. But, but notice um, that, that like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you have another voice. And that other voice is giving you an alternative wisdom, isn't it? I pull up my social media here. You know what you hear? Another voice of wisdom. Turn on some music, I might hear another voice of wisdom. Right? I talk to people, I hear another voice of wisdom. So, so in our life, it's like we're always hearing, you know, we can go to 
God's wisdom, and then we've got like surround sound. This is like the Dolby 7.2. All around us, we're getting different messages, different advice. You deserve to be happy in your marriage, so just get rid of the guy. That's another voice of wisdom, isn't it? It's worldly wisdom. And so it's so hard, James says, to ask God trusting him, trusting that his wisdom is best and that he will provide wisdom if we ask in faith. But what happens What happens if we've got one ear to God's wisdom and we've got another ear to worldly wisdom? What, what happens? What does your life look like? What does my life look like? That's right. You're spiritually unstable. And notice the analogy here. He says, he's like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You ever been out on a boat on a sporty day, a windy day, right? And, and you just you just look at those waves. You ever see it white capping, right? You know what I mean by white capping? You see the white foam on the top of the waves, and that demonstrates that the, the sea is turbulent and the wind is strong. And just just think, just think if you if you dropped a leaf into the ocean like that and just watched it, and it's just, it's just all over the place. And what James says is your life will be all over the place if you're not centered on trusting God for the wisdom that He wants to give you. Um, to be unstable in all his ways, restless, vacillating. Um, and we shouldn't expect to receive from God when we come to him uncertain and doubting of his ability to help us. Um, so I wrote down here, in trials, what are we often tempted to do in regard to our trust? What are we often tempted to do? Yeah, trust the easy way out. Okay, I'll put my hand up and say I'm tempted to do that. What else are we tempted to do in trials? Blame God? Sure. What else? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to Google it. Of course. That's what we do, right? That's how you solve your problems in 21st century America. You Google it. You watch a YouTube video about it and you fix your problem, right? Isn't... Is it not challenging to believe that what we really need is to trust that God will give us all the wisdom that we need to navigate through life? That's challenging, isn't it? We've got sophisticated technologies and medicine and all this, and God says, will you trust me to give you the answer? Will you trust me for the wisdom that you need to navigate that situation? And again, I think that this is indicting because I'll, I'll confess, it, it, is, it is so, I think this is what a lot of us do. We say, yes, God, but, right? Yeah, I want the wisdom of God, but I also want to Google it, right? I want the wisdom of God, but I also want to try to, you know, take advantage of this new thing I just heard. And, um, and what God is asking us is to be singular in trusting him 
in regard to the wisdom he wants to give us. Okay? Man, we're, uh, we're, we're not even halfway through chapter 1, and uh, James has um, sat us down and uh, said, here, here, here's the way things are. Here, here's the way things need to be. And uh, the, the, the challenge, I think, of this book, aside from trying to just keep it all in our minds, the, the, the challenge is, um, we need to, guys, we need to pray for grace. We need to pray for grace, that as James gives us these good insights, that we would renew our mind, change our thinking in terms of buying into what he's saying, that we would see our trials as occasions for joy, that we would confidently ask God for wisdom, though there are a thousand other sources of help seeming, but we would trust him and we would see that he is, he is really the one that we need. Okay? Well, we will... Uh, as we digest that and as you continue to read James at least one time all the way through this week, uh, for you advanced students, if you want to read it every day, that would be great, all the way through the book. And we'll come back and we'll talk next time uh, about humility and humiliation and trials. So let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, this incredible book. And it has already uh, hit us right between the eyes in, in terms of admonishment and counsel. We we confess that we grumble about our trials and we run away from them and we miss we miss that that is your greenhouse, that is your gymnasium, that is your expression of love to us that we might share in your holiness. And Lord, I pray as, as we try to change how we think and change how to react in light of what we do, that we will... We will seek you and we will trust you as we ask for wisdom to navigate through difficult things. Father, we would pray right now that you will give our church wisdom in this next year. That you will give us wisdom to make wise decisions, to respond to the challenges that the year brings, to be strategic in how we share our faith. Uh, to be wise in the counsel that we give. Father, we trust you. We know that you are truly all we need. Help us not to be distracted by other things that might be helpful but are not necessary. Uh, Lord, rivet, rivet our eyes on the counsel of your word and might we trust that when we ask you, you will, you will provide everything we need for every situation we will ever face. What an amazing promise. Help us to believe that. It, it's almost too good to be true. Help us to believe that and trust it and, and know that that will bring an incredible stability uh, to our Christian lives. Lord, thank you for this book. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Now make us faithful uh, by your grace to live out what we've learned. In Christ's name, amen.